This podcast is for the purposes of providing information only and is not providing legal advice. Although we may have attorneys speaking during this podcast, no attorney-client relationship exists. As always, we recommend you consult with an attorney about your specific issue. This episode of Dream Podcast, Truth About Immigration, is brought to you by Su Abogada de Confianza, Cynthia R. Lopez. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dream Podcast. This is season two. We're here in studio with Cynthia Hi, How you Richie. Doing? Hi. And, hello, hello. And I'm Rich. And like, so introduce yourself one more time. Season yes. two listeners, new listeners, hopefully. That's true. We could have new listeners. Hopefully we have new <laughs> listeners. Um, and I especially am, shout out to the returners for sure, though. Especially the returners, yes. My name is Cynthia Lopez, and I am an immigration attorney practicing here in El Paso, Texas, specializing in removal defense and family-based petitions. And you? Who are and you? I am Richie Madrufo. I'm very active in the community here. I have been born and raised and made a living here in El Paso in the arts and education. And so, you know, this affects us, affects us directly. And here we are right now podcasting, talking about immigration. Yes. So let's start with a couple. Um, first of all, this is season two. And We've we had... A great season finale, Tricky Falls, talking about immigration and the artist. They're probably our most popular episode, I think. Um, yes. Well, so a few things, first of all. This is season two. We will hopefully have a new song soon, um, if not for this particular episode, but hopefully soon we'll have a new song. It's a whole new theme, a whole new world, uh, hopefully. But the last episode, yes, was awesome. It was so cool. Uh, we didn't really do an intro. I was actually going back and listening to it today. We took a really long hiatus. That was in like October, right? Yeah. And so um, we took a long break, <laughs> um, mostly because it was the holidays. And then it turned into a little bit of like me being burnt out, I think, on immigration and all the badness that was going on. Because it's nonstop. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. been a little crazy. And then um, and that episode we did, so I went back and listened to it because it had been a while. Um, and we didn't really do an intro and explain, I mean, Kat did our, our intro and kind of explained where we were, but I don't think we had told people beforehand that we were going to be doing it or anything like that. Uh. So it was kind of like, well, what's going on here? So we actually recorded that episode at uh, last Thursday's. Um, mm -hmm. And do you want to, Richie, you could probably explain it better than I could what last Thursday is and mm -hmm. what where it's at now, what's going on with last Thursdays now? Well, I think uh, one of the most important things that we can have in any city is the arts and supporting it, you know, because uh, maybe maybe it's a bit, I'm always going to be extreme here, you know, and it's, but in times of destruction we have to create. <laughs> and so I support the arts, whether it be through uh, visual arts, writing, performances. And so a very important thing in El Paso right now is last Thursday's El Paso Art Crawl. Uh, it started downtown, but one of the most beautiful things is that it, it has expanded so much since then. Um, last year in October, we were very fortunate to be invited at Tricky Falls, a leg legendary venue in downtown El Paso. Unfortunately, it's uh, no longer around. Rest in peace. I Rest think we were one of the last shows there, actually. But yeah, and that place was beautiful. It's it's a nice place, uh, and a lot of bands um, that we all know and love have gone through and played there. So it's still there. It's just a church. It's going now, to right? be, yeah, um, a church. And so I'll let you guys decide how you feel about that. <laughs> I, I know how a lot of the community feels about that. Uh, but like I said, last Thursday's Art Crawl, the last Thursday of every month, during the warmer months, because I think they stop when it gets a little colder, um, is. Over 20, I think at this point, maybe even 30 venues around town showcase the visual arts, the performing arts. And um, that just means our, our, our scene continues to grow. And if you want to learn what's going on in the city, listen to what the artists are writing about, painting about. And you'll see a lot of the content that we're talking about on this show 
kind of merge with what these artists are doing. Artists are doing big time, yeah. And we recorded it live. It was the first time we'd done a live episode. Shout out to Mario too for he did holding amazing. That, down. that was not easy <laughs> because we had. Well, we had two guests, so it was, we had four mics, and then we had a mic for questions, and then we had the PAs, and so it was kind of like a engineer nightmare. And then we also... We didn't have a monitor. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a monitor. So that was the thing, that was one of the things I wanted to say, too, about yeah. that episode, was that I kept cutting you off and kept, <laughs> like, like to, I was total, like, ADD from the stuff you were saying because I couldn't hear you. <laughs> it was really hard to hear everybody, too. So if you listen to that episode again, like, yeah. we're just going off of instinct. <laughs> and I sound like a total... Uh, a hole. I, I heard like, that so now. I didn't think so. I didn't think that. I was like, oh man, I'm just, I was just rambling again. Cynthia's no, I, no, I was getting straight to the point. Like, I kept cutting you off. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> but it was a really cool episode, and we had like people walking around and artists mm -hmm. selling stuff while we were doing the episode and stuff like that. So that was really cool. And thank you to Kat Al Alanis Big time, yeah. for. Um, helping us organize that for sure. So that was, yeah, I guess technically our season ender because it was so long ago. So we're going to just kind of start a new season now. There's been so much stuff that has been happening. Um, I anticipate that this particular episode may, uh, may possibly be two, two episodes yeah, because we've got, a, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. And the first thing that I wanted to talk about was kind of updating people on where we're at with DACA right now. Did we actually before that? Did we have any corrections to make from the last nah. episode? Like, nah, no, no. Because we had so <laughs> a lot of experience from Kiko, Kiko Rodriguez, who he came and he shared a lot of his experience talking about like what it takes for an artist to come through, and uh, and uh, we've heard we heard a lot of good information. Cool. Yeah, so, I feel more comfortable when uh, when it's somebody else giving the information that I don't have to make <laughs> corrections. You know, like yeah. when it's me giving information, spewing information. I feel like I have to go back and clarify or correct or stuff like okay, that. Good, so it good. wasn't me. So, you know, what, whatever. So, so what is going on uh, season two? What is going on with DACA now? Like a lot of people are, I think, feel in the dark. Honest mm -hmm. still. Well, not a lot has changed right now. Um, it's still renewals. If you are doing a renewal, it's still the same thing. Not They're still not accepting new DACAs. Um, there hasn't been a lot of movement really with any sort of new litigation or anything going on. If your DACA expired before September, 2016, you can still apply, but you basically have to apply like if it's a new application. So you have to submit a bunch of documents and all your supporting documents like if it was a new application. If it expired after September 5th, 2016, it's basically just a renewal. But if it expired and you're worried about renewing, um, just get it done. Because technically you should renew after a year. So I think sometimes people might be concerned that they waited too long or anything like that. Just go ahead and, and renew. Okay. Yeah. And go just go ahead and do it. I mean, I think a lot of people were scared to do DACA at first because they were scared that, you know, I don't want to give the government my information and things like that. Mm. But I would say just, it's best to just do it. Yeah. Especially I mean, right now. You don't want to get That's always been the fear, but even more now, even more so now. Yeah, you don't want to be with completely without status right now. Yeah. What we're starting to see a lot of, which has been really interesting, is that a lot of these DACAs, these these people who have had DACA before, and you know, as they get older, now they're marrying U.S. citizens. They now have a way to get their residency. But in a lot of those cases, um, in order to get their residency, they have to leave the country if they didn't come in legally. And I think did we talk about that in one of one of our episodes before? I feel like it was mentioned, but consular processing. What consular? So yeah, just just real quick. If if you come into the country without a visa or you didn't go through a port of entry, basically the law says um, if you were admitted um, and inspected. So if and that can be deemed to be a few things, but basically if you go through the bridge, um, 
you presented yourself and they, they waved you in, that still counts as a legal entry. But if you com came in completely legally, you do have to do the process through the consulate, which means you have to go back to the consulate in your home country. And um, sometimes they don't want to do that. But we're starting to see a lot of those cases where people had DACA and now they're wanting to fix their status through a spouse, for example. I wonder, I wonder how many people feel kind of obligated to, you know, to do that. Well, a lot of them at least want to know the information. Okay. They want to know, hey, can I, can I fix my residency now? I'm married to a U.S. citizen. Can I, okay. can I fix my status? Um, and we kind of have to explain the process. If they came in with a visa, they can also they can do the process here in the U.S., which is called an adjustment of status. Okay. Um, generally speaking, they can they can do the adjustment of status. If you came in with a visa, came in through a bridge, a port of entry, um, you can usually do the adjustment of status, <laughs> which I think we do talk about adjustment of status. I'll have to go back. Now it's, that it's been a whole season ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to go back and double check what we've talked about and not talked about. Um, yeah. And then also, if anybody ever has any questions, you can always hit us up, dreampodcast01 at gmail.com. Yeah, and also, you know, uh, one of the things that I think you guys can look forward to this season is we're going to be bringing in um, guests to tell their stories. You know, if, if people... We got our shit together, basically, yeah. and sat down and came up with a schedule of stuff we want to do. <laughs> We're professional. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of have an idea of the stuff that we want to do. We want to get in a lot of dreamers. And so we need people who are willing to talk about their experiences being a dreamer. And um, a lot a lot of people are willing to talk about that because they're scared a lot of times. So, yeah, if you're willing and, to do it's that. It's important to share, share those stories, too. You know, we can always change the identity, change the name, whatever. But yeah, that's not a I problem. I think, you know, to humanize the stories, I think, is always important. Because it's so easy to just talk about as this as this thing. In fact, earlier today, I saw uh, the New York Post mm -hmm. did a, an interview. Uh, they've actually brought in a, a dreamer face to face with someone who who doesn't support it, and they like That's did a face to face like thing. And that was in <clears throat> New York Times. The New York Post, New York I believe. Post. Yeah, I I, I think. Uh, <laughs> I should have written down the information on that, but it was I would very, love I would yeah. love to do that, but I think it's well. You know, within within a, they, a controlled I mean, environment, I think were, it would be really cool. They were cordial, cool. but like they were still kind of like it's it's like a microcosm of of like what you see all around. Like you saw a lot of the same talking points on both sides, kind of. And but in the end, though, I think they were amicable towards each other. Yeah, I would really, I would love to get. Um, they're called um, um, assistant chief counsels. So they're the government attorneys. Um, they're, they're through the Department of Homeland Security. I would love to have one of them on, get their views on all the crazy stuff that's going on, but they're not really allowed to do to talk to us. Or yeah. even a judge, that would be cool, but they're not really allowed to yeah, they, talk they about this really stuff. Yeah, they can't really do that, huh? I can talk about whatever I want. <laughs> um, the other that's thing... That's why we're here. Yeah, that's why we're here. So let's talk about some new stuff. Um, there has been... You guys, there has been so much stuff that's been going on with immigration. I mean, they started with the tents in Tornillo where they had the child separation. I was like overwhelmed and bombarded by like media and stuff like that. And I thought it was like the peak of all the madness. And it's always, it's been, I think the past like year or two years have just been pretty constant craziness. We've been doing a lot of media stuff. I mean, even national level has, has had like such a huge interest on everything that's going on. And it's all, a lot of it is within the asylum context, you know? So mm -hmm. when we started this podcast, um, the, the goal and the concept was always dreamers and um, just educating people in general. But we tend to just naturally talk about asylum because there's been so much asylum stuff that's been going on. And I think a lot of people that aren't in El Paso don't necessarily know, may not necessarily know um, how it's been down here. Uh, Richie, what, what has been your experience? Like, sometimes I think I'm so like, I don't know, in the woods with everything that to me, it's like, it's everywhere because 
people talk to me about it or, yeah. you know, things like that. So tell me, tell me what your experience has been like because it seems to me that it's been portrayed as like the wait times are ridiculous to cross. Yeah. Um, there's thousands of people coming in every day. Like that seems yeah. to be like the narrative. What, how's it been for you? Living yeah, in El Paso? so I mean, starting with, um, in terms of the asylum seekers, which I mean, again, <laughs> things are being manipulated and changed, you know, like people are allowed to ask for asylum, but like, so starting with the Tornillo camps, like it just, we're here, it's right, right to us, you know, and, and. Which are now shut down, by the way. It's been, they have been shut down. Yeah. And I mean, and even then, you know, there's been images that we've seen of people being held under the bridge, fenced in and, and, uh, from my personal experience as an educator, I teach right there downtown at Rio Grande campus. Yeah, that's one um, of the things that's happened. Of, in terms this, of the slowdowns, in this time. it is affecting a lot of the flow between the two places. Oh, yeah, between for sure. students, yeah. So, I mean, I, I always teach morning classes and um, it, I've very much seen an effect. Like camp, the campus overall just seems a little bit more dead because a, a huge majority of our students do travel. And come from Wattis. Especially community. And so yeah. students have told me, like, sometimes it's like five to seven hours Oof. to cross. And um, that's all because of what's what's going on. Um, and so are, students, are students missing classes a lot? I have students missing classes. And it's it's um, it's a little hard, you know, because I don't want to to fault them. And so I'm trying to work with them. But it just, how it's just too you much. Say, how long would you say that's been going on for? Like, when have you noticed that trend? Oof. Easily the last month or so, a couple months even. And we're recording April twenty fourth. Today, yeah. April twenty fourth. Yeah, it's the last month yeah, or so. And so I've just I've just had a lot of students start little by little, miss, and especially because I do teach in the mornings, and that's hard for some students to get get across. You know, if they're traveling by vehicle or even by foot too, they they, they tell me like, "I'm sorry, I missed. You know, I couldn't make it." And um, so both vehicle I, I, or by foot. I, yeah, and, and and I think. It's such an easy thing to say, like, well, wake up earlier. But I don't think that's an, such an easy response. And so I think a lot of the instructors over there on campus, like, I've, I talk to my colleagues and it's frustrating, but in the sense of, like, we just want to be able to to teach and, you know, they're, they're looking for an education and right now this is disrupting a lot of that. It's so interesting to hear hear that because I've thought about that with yeah. UTEP and, and mm. I forgot that you had, like, teach at community and have that yeah. experience going on. That's so crazy. Sure it's over there too. And I can only imagine commerce. I mean, we, um, one of, um, one of, of a friend, um, invited us over for Passover and one of their friends at dinner was talking about, uh, they do, uh, transporting, exporting, importing, exporting. And we were talking about that and she was saying, um, God, I don't remember the figure, but I want to say it was like 2 million that is has become an extra cost in transportation monthly for these transportation companies because of the, the long waits because they have vehicles that are waiting. So for people who don't know that live outside of the city, um, they're like, for example, on Saturdays, they've been completely closing down the commercial lane. So they have a lane that's just for trucks that wow. are importing and exporting stuff. Well, I guess more so export, well, importing stuff. Um, and so they have these trucks that are just sitting there idle. So they have the gas, the time. Um, a lot of these companies, that they're finding that it's even cheaper to to move product by, by plane. Um, and so you can only imagine how much more that should be. But 
um, yeah, I mean, it's really affecting a lot of a lot of things that are going on. This episode of Dream Podcast, Truth About Immigration, is brought to you by Hippie Girl Natural Products. Our products are handmade, environmentally friendly, and we cultivate the herbs and flowers used in our garden. If you'd like to try a product at 50% off, go to hippiegirlnaturalproducts.com and use coupon code DREAM. And what's happening, so that we can talk about that, um, and that would actually be... Um, kind of going into the asylum stuff a little bit more. What happened was that uh, they put in a new policy that was called, uh, I think it's called remain, return to Mexico, remain in Mexico or something like that. Um, and so they, um, it remain in Mexico was the policy. Um, and so what they wanted to do was that they wanted people to wait in Mexico. If, if people want to go back and listen to, we did, we did do an episode for sure on asylum mm-hmm. and uh, we talked about you know, asking for parole, how, what the process is to ask for asylum. Um, generally, what used to happen, you have to present yourself um, either at a port of entry or you have to be in the US in order to ask for asylum. And the first step would be, you would be given what's called a credible fear interview. And um, what they're wanting mm. people to do is to wait in Mexico until you are vetted and have that credible fear interview. And what they're seeing in that credible fear interview is whether they think you're going to actually qualify for asylum. And so it's not an attorney. It's not anybody with any legal training. It's it's an asylum mm. officer who does a credible fear. And they what the, if they think you're going to qualify for asylum. Is there like a, a standardized way of doing that? Or is it just like on their own opinion or evaluation? There is a certain standard. I think it's um, a reasonable probability or something like that. I'd have to double check the legal like standard off the top of my head. that would be such a hard thing to determine. Well, and it really... The problem is, too, is that, I mean, each officer is different. Um, the problem, too, is that you have very different standards in Texas than you have in California than you have in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, like if somebody comes in through a Texas port of entry um, in the Fifth Circuit in particular, they would be saying, if, if they say, you know, I'm fleeing gang violence, that's not going to be a valid asylum claim in the Fifth Circuit. If they're coming in through California or somewhere else, that is a valid asylum claim. So what they were doing is they wanted them to stay in Mexico until they were at least vetted by um, by an asylum officer with a credible fear review. Well, what happened was that um, a federal judge in California, and I think this was, I want to say about two weeks ago, like at the beginning of April, um, or maybe like the second week in April, um, a California judge said that that was, that they can't do that. So... Mm. <laughs> So it's been kind of a hot mess because there were some people that they sent back. So they actually went to the port of entry, said, I want to ask for asylum. They said, you got to go back to Mexico. So they were kind of like in the system, but not in the system. Mm. So they actually have like today, for example, I went to court and um, they had a bunch of officers and they like moved the regular people that were like the regular hearings. Um, They kind of moved everybody to the side. And I guess they had a bunch of people that were part of the Remain in Mexico program. And I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if they were doing rights advisals or what was going on. It's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah. Because after that ruling, so then they had people that were kind of like in the system already. Um, they, they, you know, people technically, they're supposed to, international human rights, like we're supposed to allow them in and then vet them here. But they just don't know what to do with them when they're here. Mm. So it's kind of turned into a bit of a cluster. And so some people have been in the system, some people have already been processed, but they're in Mexico. Some people have had to be brought back. Um, some people don't even know what kind of interviews they've gotten oh. at, at the port of entries. Um, so it's kind of our job to kind of, I don't know, unroll the mess. But uh, that's, that's, that's a rough spot to be in um, legally, yes, too. But also I think um, one thing that has been a, such a concern because of all this, as we say, it's been a cluster mess. Is is just um, human trafficking with, with a lot of the kids and everything. I was just reading today how 
how uh, I think they're starting to fingerprint a lot of the, a lot of the kids to try and um, curve that a little bit. But you're, they, ta- you're talking about like the kids that come in uh, with families or with kids asylum, that they separate? Yeah. yeah, separated and to try and keep track. But like even just to be at that point, it's is, all it's all a mess. It's it, such I, think a mess. I think that just speaks to how much of a mess it is. Is that people are starting to resort to because that's a big those have been big stories too. Like, what, what did you hear about the little boy who was found by himself? There was a little no. boy found in the desert. Um, uh, I didn't even read the story. I just saw the headline, and I think it was today that I saw it, that like a five-year-old little boy was found by himself in the desert. And I don't know, that just... And, and like I said, I didn't even read the, the article, so I'm not sure, and it probably, if mm. it just happened, they probably don't know where this kid came from Still and all this stuff. But I don't know, it's just so frustrating to me when people say things like, well, don't send your kids, or well, why do you put your kids through that experience, or things like that, and it's... It's like, how do you expect, I don't know. It's just, it, it's hard to, how do you talk, how do you say things like that when you haven't lived that experience? You know, you don't know right. why people are going through that. If somebody has, has gone through so much that they're willing to send their kid by themselves or send 12-year-old or 13-year-old kids by themselves um, because they want them to not be killed, like, I mean, that's not, that's not a, a decision that anyone would ever want to have to make, you know? Yeah. Or to be in that position where you have to decide that. I don't know, it's just... It's just, it's such a mess. And I think it just all boils down to really that um, the immigration system's messed up. Yeah, I mean, so we've been talking on the show a lot about about the rhetoric and, and the way that administrations, both national and local, add to, to all this. But something that, that's kind of really gotten to me lately is, is hearing about these militias. Oh, gosh, these, yeah. These that's... vigilantes who... Are, are starting to take action into their own hands um, and, and um, you know, pretending to be officers. So people who haven't heard this story, what happened was uh, in Sunland Park, New Mexico, which is basically like right next to El Paso, this group of uh, militia members, um, and then there's, there's a lot of militia groups along the border of Texas. Um, and... I, I don't know their names, but they, they they see themselves as like protecting the Constitution, and you know. Um, but Which is, there's a big irony to it. How so, Richie? <laughs> right, <laughs> of, of of them feeling like they're defending law, Constitution, yet uh, their practices are pretty illegal. Yes. So, well, the the irony of it is even even beyond that is that they've actually created by what. When somebody's a victim of, of crime, um, there's another type of visa that you can possibly get. So um, there's no doubt that what they were doing was, there's at least one to two maybe things they did illegal. I mean, the, the main guy who, so so all of this the, happened the in Sunland. Yeah, so all of this happened in Sunland, New Mexico, Sunland Park, New Mexico. Um, the main guy has already been arrested because I think he was on probation and he had a gun. Oh, okay. So first of all, he did that. Um, second of all, you can't just go around arresting people. Um, you can effectuate citizen's arrest, but um, that's when somebody's committing like a felony and you better make damn well sure that you know, you have the right to, to do a citizen's arrest because if you don't, you're basically kidnapping somebody. Um, and so... I, I believe my Google's legal research on this is that it has to be a felony and I'm not going to pretend that I actually have done the research in Texas, but um, I do believe that it has to be a felony for you to, to do a citizen's Detain arrest. Someone. But even beyond that, um, they did say, and they even took video of it and posted the video and they say in the video that they're uh, border patrol. So 
know, they're impersonating federal officers. So that's definitely illegal. So there's no doubt that what these guys were doing was there's at least some illegal components to what they were doing. And so the irony is that they've now, these people that they did this to who are now victims of crime, should they choose to prosecute these people for these crimes and they want these people who were the victims to provide testimony or anything like that, they can now be eligible for things like U visas and you know other things, which is a lot easier than asylum. So ironically... And it is somewhat funny uh, that now okay. they've created um, easier pathways for staying here legally. I see, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so it's, I think, kind of funny that that's probably <laughs> not what they intended to do at all. No. Uh, yeah, but it is, it is a, kind of a crazy story that these people were just, you know, hey, I'm Border Patrol. Yeah, I mean, because I think one of the things is they, they were kind of, some of them were wearing like badges, like that they made like custom badges. And of course they were armed. I, I don't, I haven't heard anything about them actually like pointing or anything like that, but they have video of them like keeping people, like large amounts of people together and, until Border Patrol could come and get them. So, I, and I think that's the case that they're still looking, still looking into, right? Is this because I think Border Patrol made an official announcement that they don't support... Yeah, they, they kicked them out. They told them, I think it was a city of, I don't know, Sunland Park. I, I don't know. <laughs> they, but they told them to leave and the militia members don't want to leave. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see if there are any criminal charges. I know for sure the main guy was, um, I think it was the FBI that arrested him too because yes, he had broken probation. Um, but we'll see what happens. But if I was um, defending those people... I would definitely look into like U visas and other things like that, but <clears throat> we'll see what happens. This episode of Dream Podcast, Truth About Immigration, is brought to you by Su Abogada de Confianza, Cynthia R. Lopez. So, yeah, don't go out and like, you know, just kidnap Try people. Take the law with, your own hands if you um, don't know the law. Guns. <laughs> <laughs> and all that. Yeah. Um, one of the other big, big things that's happening that I wanted to talk about that I think is going to be really interesting and has a little bit more like long-term effect that we can actually speak about, you know, like the, the Remain in Mexico thing is so, I don't even know what to tell people about that because it's so like crazy and I don't even know what's happening with it and it's not going to be happening, but it's still happening. So something that's a little bit more, you know, substantive and that's supposed to go into effect uh, soon is there was a legal opinion. So William Barr is the attorney general. Um, under immigration law, basically any attorney general can say, hey, I want to refer this case to myself. Um, traditionally, it doesn't really happen very much. Like between 1999 and 2009, there was an average of 1.7 per year that had happened. And under this administration, there's been six wow. cases that the attorney general has referred to himself. And this case was one of them. And it was it's called, the case is called Matter of MS. And basically what they did, what William Barr did in his legal opinion was say that he doesn't believe that judges have jurisdiction to grant bond hearings whenever somebody has entered the U.S. illegally. Um, so what happens a lot with asylum cases is that sometimes people don't know where a bridge is or they're, they literally just cross. Um, you know, if you don't, if you're somewhere in the middle of in between ports of entry and you don't know where a port of entry is, um, sometimes they'll just cross and then border patrol will apprehend them. So those are, and that's considered an illegal entry. Um, sometimes two people do in, intentionally illegally enter. Um, but traditionally in those cases, we can at least go before a judge. The judge will, at least in Texas, and every place is different. Um, the Ninth Circuit, for example, California is very different than the Fifth Circuit, than Texas. Um, 
some of our cases are out in uh, New Mexico, so that's 10th Circuit. Um, so everything is, is a little bit different, but usually we could go before a judge, ask for a bond, the judge will review their case, they'll review their criminal history, have you ever been in the U.S., what are your family ties, um, flight risk, danger to the community, and then they'll decide if they're going to give him bond. So with this decision uh, that was issued the 16th of April, it's supposed to go into effect in about 90 days that they cannot grant bond at all. So it's effectively judges will no longer have any sort of say in granting bond to any asylum seekers. Yeah. Well, and it's not necessarily just asylum cases. I think it's probably for anybody that, um, well, no, it is just asylum seekers because it's, uh, if you've been placed in expedited removal and then you pass a credible fear, no bond. And we can get into that later. It's a yeah. little bit um, more detailed. We should probably do another asylum where we get more detailed in asylum cases, but. Yeah. So what this, what ends up happening um, with these cases, so, so the people that it affects are people who are placed in expedited removal proceedings. So usually people that enter illegally, um, you, usually people that are placed in expedited removal proceedings are people who have entered, um, w w they get apprehended within 14 days of entry or they're within 100 miles of the border. So if they just came in, 14 days or less, they can be placed in expedited removal proceedings. Usually what that means is that they can just be returned to their country. But if they do say, hey, I'm afraid of going back, they have to give them a credible fear review. Um, and then that's, once they pass the credible fear, then that's when we can usually ask for bond. So essentially with all these asylum cases where they have um, entered illegally or entered in between ports of entry or not at a port of entry, um, which is basically the only way you can really ask for asylum is you have to be in the U.S. or you have to go to a port of entry. Um, so in those cases, judges will no longer be able to grant bonds. Um, <clears throat> so it's going to be really crazy. So it's going to be really, really interesting, at least for me and my practice. And I think a lot of um, attorneys that do removal defense, a large part of what we do is bond hearings. Um, so it's going to be interesting, to say the least, to see what's going to happen. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of challenges to this opinion. I mean, I personally think that it's a big violation of some serious um, fundamental rights, like right to liberty. If you don't have somebody at least reviewing, should you be detained or not? I can tell you that asylum cases in El Paso take a couple of months at least, like at least two months, maybe three or four months. I mean, you have to think practically speaking what these people are going through, right? Like, let's say you come from El Salvador, you do have a really good asylum claim, you're detained, you're having to present your asylum case, you're having to do so, you're essentially having to navigate a legal system that's in a different language that you don't speak. Um, you're having to get all your documents from the country that you came from while you're detained. So you have to figure out how to, you know, call your home country, communicate. Hopefully you have a family member in the U.S. that can help you with that. And then you have to get all those documents translated. So, and you only get a certain amount of time, especially like in Otero, they're being really strict with the amount of time that they're giving you. So this is not, it's not an easy process. I wrote down some of the numbers on the likelihood of getting approved when you have, versus when you have an attorney. So for example, Sierra Blanca is about 80 miles from El Paso. Um, there's another detention center in Gadsden, Alabama, which is about 400 miles from the closest legal aid. And statistically, when someone does have legal aid, they're twice as likely to succeed on their, their asylum case. So the probability of succeeding when you have an attorney is twice as much as when you don't. I mean, that's astounding. And so I think that speaks a lot to the validity of people's claims and the importance of having legal aid. And so, for example, when we can't get them out on bond, it's 
if they're in these obscure locations where there is no access to legal aid, they have to represent themselves. They have to get their documents themselves. They have to get their documents translated themselves. So it does make it a lot harder to present an asylum claim, whether it's valid or not. You know, yeah. I mean, they all think they have a valid asylum claim. The judge ultimately makes a decision. Mm. But when you have a really good asylum claim that's based on some really good facts, we have a lot of people coming from Venezuela that have really good political asylum claims. But it's not easy to do one when you're representing yourself and two when you're detained. No. And, and yeah, it's asking a lot of people to go above than they're, what they should be able to do. Yeah. It's asking a lot. Present, yeah. It's asking a lot. And, and I think we're already asking a lot. And I understand that, you know, some people may come from the point of view of, well, it's, you know, they came here illegally. They should have to go through that or whatever. But you don't have to make the process even more difficult. There's no reason to make the process more difficult, right? If they have a good asylum claim, then give them asylum. If they don't, then, then don't give them asylum. But why are you going to make it even harder for them to ask for asylum? Like, mm -hmm. obviously, you don't want people to ask for asylum. And if they have a valid asylum claim, you don't want to hear it. You just don't mm -hmm. give a shit if they have a good asylum claim. And just admit that that's what it's about. Because if you really care to hear people's asylum claims and really evaluate whether they have a good asylum claim or not, then give them a fair shot to present their case you know but that's not that's not what we're doing and so it's a little bit frustrating it'll be interesting to see how things are going to change i mean we have to change our business model a lot um which is fine we always have to do it anyways you know and mm -hmm. it's not the end of the world because we're just going to be doing more asylum cases um it's just going to be a little bit harder to present those asylum cases because it's like well we're, we can't even ask for bond anymore we're just going to go straight to asylum cases wow. and a lot of times too i mean i think people don't understand some people who ask for asylum don't even speak. There's a lot of people that don't even speak Spanish. Like we have a lot of indigenous people and there's a lot of other languages that are very difficult. There's Quiche, there's what are some, Canjobal. So you have people who can't really help out because oftentimes there's translators, but if it's specialized, or it's not specialized, but just, you said you come across people who don't speak Spanish. Yeah, I mean, even in El Paso, there's... Um, we don't really have even some of the more common languages, like some of the Indian languages mm. are difficult. Um, so forget the indigenous languages. And how do you, I mean, just asking somebody to just picture themselves being in this position. Let's say that you're an indigenous woman in El Salvador, right? Or Guatemala is probably more likely. Let's say you're an indigenous woman living in Guatemala. You don't speak Spanish. You only speak, I don't know, Quiche. You come to this country to get away from whatever you're, you're fleeing from. It's very common for domestic violence. The police there don't protect women, especially indigenous women. They won't even listen to them, file complaints with the police. So let's say they say, hey, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I'm going to die. I need to get out of here. So they make this trek for to get all the way here. They get here, and the first thing is they get placed in a cell um, behind bars. Hey, present, given all documents in English, um, everything's read to them probably in Spanish. Um, if they do get an interpreter, it's in, it's still legal which language that they they're, might, yeah. yeah, which they might get an interpreter in the language because there's so many, um, there's so many indigenous languages that yeah. it's not necess it's not necessarily true that it may be the right indigenous language. And so, um, and even if they do have an interpreter, a lot of them, especially the indigenous cultures are not educated. Um, there's a lot of people that can't read and write. So they're having to la navigate a legal system that asylum is complicated. I mean, even for us attorneys, asylum is complicated. I think sometimes people don't think about that. They don't think about the fact that, no. uh, you know, yeah, okay, fine. You came in illegally. You should have to present your asylum case and you should have to be detained while you do it and blah, blah, blah. But just consider that for a second, that it's a language that they don't speak. 
in a legal system that they don't understand, asking them to get documents from another country where they may not be able to just reach out and say, hey, can you send me my documents? Right. So, um, yeah, it's it's a little more complicated than, it's, it's not black and white. There's aren't black and white issues. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with these. We'll do, I'll do an update at the next uh, podcast recording to see, one, mm-hmm. if this even goes into effect, and two, how it affects immigration attorneys. Yeah, it's always evolving, moving, changing. Um, uh, one thing that, that um, you know, in terms of what you're just saying right now, one thing we're always asking, I always think, and I always ask my students, you know, put yourself in that other person's shoes, you know, that's empathy. Uh, we had a really great art show here at Part of the Past recently. Jason Brewer from Jack Rabbit. Yeah. Trading, um, he and that's he, where we're recording. We're recording right now at Power the Pass. Power. So when you hear, uh, you know, random tambourines and trains in the background, it's <laughs> it's all part of the on. art. That's what I do on uh, my my B Woman's podcast. Is like because people come in and like there's noise. That's fine. It's like hey, we're at a studio. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, recently, we had a really big art show. Jason Brewer uh, did a show called Migration Dispatches. From the southwest, and it was kind of like a hypothetical thing, you know. Imagine, yeah, was a situation really cool. it was so cool where the United States that we know ceases to exist because our enemies, let's say China, Russia, got together and just dismantled the government that we know today. And so, his, his thought experiment was okay, so what happens to the people that we have now? You know, what happens to people of the U.S. now? We're gonna migrate south or north. And, like, so here in this region, people would be going to, like, Ojinaga, Mexico. But, like, it's it's bomb, it's everything. And so, like, it just... It's like, when you, when you, when you talk blood. about, like... Because yeah. people don't put themselves in other people's shoes. The whole, like, if you didn't do it the right way. and But, like, if you don't speak the language, first of all, imagine... Like, I, that's what I tell people. If you're only... Ang- you only speak English. So, if something happened and you had to go somewhere else, you would be you wouldn't know what to do. You'd panic. Like, people would be talking, you wouldn't understand them, and they'd be, like, saying the same thing. Hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. You need to present your case. Oh, yeah, imagine even just going to, like, you're in the desert, and you're just like, oh, that's that's it, the glory land, you know? True, I'm going to go there. that way. Yeah. I'm just going to cross right here. Like, they don't they don't know that, you know? So, I don't know. I always say it was it. a really cool, it was a really cool concept, though. I mean, exhibition. Um, it definitely would take an artist to, like, I mean, not just think of that concept where imagine you had to leave the U.S. and you had to go to other places. Like, I don't know, people don't want to hear that shit. And yeah, it does take an artist to kind of challenge that that thought process. Which and uh, at the beginning of the episode, or I don't know, episode one, depending how we split this episode, you know, <laughs> I was talking about the importance of art, you know, and, and what yeah. they say. You know, Jason Brewer here with Jackrabbit Trading said so much of like trying to churn, churn this idea of migration. Because when people, you know, I say migration, people say, it's immigration. A lot of people like to throw the word legal in front of it, but like if it came down to it, our human instinct is to survive. Yeah. If something happened, a catastrophic event, everyone would want to survive and move to where they can make it. So I don't know. Yeah, people and people do throw it. around the term like, oh, that's legal or that's illegal or they did it the illegal way or I, I don't know. But yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's... Com- I don't think media and stuff have... Um, really picked up on how dramatic this issue is with not granting bonds, like how much it's going to change what's going on with immigration because we're essentially holding people without any sort of review of whether they should be behind bars or not. Mm. And that's kind of crazy. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, the fact alone that that this administration has um, 
had six cases referred to the attorney general that, that the attorney general has referred to himself. And um, I don't know if all of those were bar. I think those were some of those were before. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's that... still appointments. Right? Yeah, but they're still referring cases to themselves yeah. because they just don't agree with the decision. And to have six in one administration when the average before yeah, that was 1.7 for yeah. like 10 years is just kind of mm. very telling, I think. But we'll see what happens. Episode one of season two of Dream Podcast was broken up into two episodes. Please like and subscribe so you can be updated when episode two is live. And thank you for listening to Dream Podcast.